Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast for women that supplements the current women's Bible study here at First Pres Augusta. I'm Vanessa Hawkins, and for the next several weeks, Amber Barrett, various members of our Bible study teaching team, and I will discuss God's Word, specifically the book of Ecclesiastes, and the unique way it speaks into our lives. Joining Amber and me today is Angela and Susie. Welcome, ladies. Thank you very much. Today, we will center our discussion around Ecclesiastes 8. I encourage you to take time to read through it to make the most of our time together. But as is our custom, let's get to know a bit about the ladies here with a segment we like to call First Things First. So ladies, something to talk about listeners would love to know about the first time you were sent to the principal's office. Tell us about that as you introduce yourselves (laughs) and grown, Angela. Okay, a little bit about me. Well, I'm Angela Rogers, and I've been a member at First Pres since 1986. And um, I've, let various jobs I've had. I work for a major department store as an assistant buyer. I've been, I've worked in editorial for City Magazine. Um, I've worked at Westminster Schools of Augusta in the pre-K department, been a lifeguard. And um, oh, wow. now I'm, I'm at home, um, been helping my husband in his new venture. Um, I have I'm married to Jerry, and uh, we have three kids, Parker, Thomas, and Emily. Parker and Thomas are married. Beautiful. We hit the jackpot with daughters-in-law. <laughs> and um, we have six grandkids, which is wow. a fabulous thing, one of whom is a foster child. So that's a whole other thing we could talk about one day. And then we have Emily, who is our late-in-life surprise child. <laughs> and um, she's our wild child, as Amber <laughs> and I were just talking about. But um, just very blessed, very blessed in the family realm and um, all around. That is, that's fascinating. I didn't know all of those yeah, things about yeah. you, Angela. That's me. Lifeguard. That's good to know. Yeah. Yes, yes. I I will tell you to um, grab hold of the ring buoy and come on in. <laughs> <laughs> grab hold. You can do it. Come you, on. You need to have that You friend. can do it. Save, you that, save right? yourself first. That is the cardinal rule of lifeguarding. It's good to yes, know. Yes, yes. Actually, technically speaking, I was never sent to the principal's office in all of my school years. However, there might have been a time where the principal paid me an unexpected visit. It was in high school, and um, this friend and I got this really great idea. We thought that, hey, if we, we can skip going to the lunchroom during lunch, and we can go meet in our cars in the parking lot and eat and listen to music. Because this was way back. There were no you know iPods or iTunes or mm-hmm. Walkman or anything. If you wanted to hear your tunes, it was either... Eight-track tapes or FM radio. So this is, I'm really dating myself, but so that was the world back in the day. And so um, we just started this little lunch club, and we would go get in our car, and um, it was pretty fun. And then one fateful day, um, I'm sitting there chomping away on a bologna sandwich because it is the 70s. <laughs> it's probably David Bowie in the background. And have y'all ever gotten the feeling that you're being watched? Oh, Okay. It just kind of came over me, and I'm mid, you know, chomping on this bologna, and I just sort of turn to the right and look out the passenger door, and um, on the other side of the glass is the principal, <laughs> and we are Did like eye, eyeball to eyeball, and he had these giant eyes like searchlights. <laughs> so major busted, um, and kind of that was the end of that. That I was just so embarrassed, and um, I can remember. Um, he was just a great man. We loved him. He was wise. He was fair, but he was but the right amount of 
you know, intimidating, like mm-hmm. a principal needs mm-hmm. to be. But he gave us this little lecture about school rules, and I need you to be you know, role models for the younger students. And then he let us go back to class. But that was, you know, that's my encounter with the principal disciplinary discipline. And the bologna sandwich. And, and the bologna sandwich, Bowie. yeah, and David Bowie or whatever we were listening to. <laughs> that's great. He probably wanted to join you, to be honest. He, he probably, probably wanted he would to join have, you. I mean, I, yeah, he just yeah. kind of was shaking his head and grinning when Sounds we walked like away. like a high old time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was it. Hey, y'all, my name is Susie Lovecamp. I have been married to Joe for 17 years. We have three children. Noah is 15, Madeline is 13, and Sadie is 11. I work part-time here at the church as the coordinator for Hand in Hand, our special needs ministry. My first and only time that I made it to the principal's office um, was my senior year of high school. It was football season. We were playing a big rival in town. So all the seniors got together, we decorated our cars, we loaded up and proceeded to do a drive-by parade in the parking lot of the rival school. So we were honking our horns, we were spraying silly string out of our windows, we were causing quite the commotion. Um, So by the time we made it back to school, we were a little late for our first period and apparently our school administration did not think too highly of our show of school spirit. So we were marched all down to the principal's office and we were given a piece of his mind and then he gave us detention. But we did, in fact, beat MRA. (laughs) And that's what what counts. (laughs) The point. (laughs) That was funny. Well, y'all waited longer than I did to get to the principal's office. I went to the principal's office for the first time in first grade. And it was because we were sitting at lunch and some of the boys in my class, I don't know how we got onto this competition, but it was a pinching competition Mm -hmm. and it was who could stand the pinch the longest. And so were you as competitive then? I was as competitive then as I am now, which does Mm. not bode well for a pinching contest. I just had welts all over my arm and somehow the teachers were communicating that. And so I got sent Mm -hmm. to the principal's office along with the boys and told that that was not the game we should be Mm -hmm. playing at lunchtime. Mm -hmm. Which secretly I was glad that we got in trouble because that hurts. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. Okay, you're going to hate this. You're going to hate me for this. But I have to own up to the fact that I almost never got in trouble. Oh, <laughs> I was such a teacher's pet. And, uh, you know, with all the self-righteousness that goes along with that role. But that's who I was. I mean, I had it mastered. I mean, I was the youngest of nine. I knew how to not get in trouble. Yeah, you yeah. Knew how to work yeah. the you know, system. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I knew how to work the system. I was a good little Pharisee, and I'm quite the rule <laughs> follower. So I obviously obeyed for all of the wrong reasons. But last week, we talked about Chapter 7, Ecclesiastes, not answering folly with folly, and concluding that life under the sun is a God-inhabited life. Our, one of our favorite quotes from Zach Eswine. We really like that. This week, Solomon touches on the blessings of obedience. Amber, could you talk to us a bit about why... Is obedience a necessary component of Christian life? Yeah. Obedience to God's commands, I think, is a necessary part of the Christian life in part because, as Solomon says in this passage, it is the means by which it will be well with us. At the beginning of creation, we see God giving Adam and Eve commands meant to protect and promote human flourishing as they lived freely and without shame in the presence of God and one another. The same is true today. And God's law has been given in order that it will be well with us. To disobey his law is to step outside of the good he intends for us and into alienation and judgment. 
Without obedience to God's commands, there is no enjoyment of his presence, and all of life becomes what we have seen in Ecclesiastes, broken and vain. Um, Innate to every human heart is the passionate desire to disregard God's law in favor of our own desires. That reality means the possibility of experiencing the good life God intends for us is all but hopeless were it not for God's own intervention. Knowing our rebellion and loving us despite it, he sent his son Jesus to take on human flesh so that by his perfectly obedient life and death, he might become our representative before God, absorbing the judgment of our disobedience and giving us the righteousness of his perfectly obedient life in its place. God's counting us as righteous through the work of Jesus is what we often call justification. We are justified by God's grace alone, not by anything we've done before we were Christians or even by anything God has done in us now that we are Christians. Our righteousness and all of its resulting benefits come from Jesus alone. The Bible calls this a free gift of grace. Maybe you, like me, have a hard time accepting exceedingly generous gifts. It is terribly tempting for me upon receiving one to immediately begin calculating what I have to give back to the one who gave so generously to me. I don't know that this temptation arises from gratitude as much as it does from an uncomfortable need not to consider myself in someone's debt. Accepting God's grace can be surprisingly uncomfortable. The only way to truly receive it is gratefully without any thoughts about payback. So as we receive God's grace gratefully, we also do well to put it to good use. Receiving Christ's righteousness means that we are no longer who we used to be, disobedient rebels. Instead, we have become those God counts as righteous in Christ and those God is steadily making more and more righteous in ourselves. This living out of Christ's righteousness, this putting grace to good use, is what we call sanctification. And it is where obedience to God's commands finds a place in the life of a a believer. Our ability to be obedient is a sweet work of grace intended by God to protect and promote human flourishing such that, as Solomon says, all will be well with us. Now, knowing that obedience in this way is a vital component of the Christian life, how do you ladies personally know what it means to obey God's commands and what have you found as your motivation for doing so? So my understanding of what it means to obey God has really changed over the years as God has been at work in my life. As a young believer, obedience looked like being a good girl, doing the right thing, because this is what God expected of me. My motive was to not disappoint God. Then as I got older, I moved to a type of obedience where I had expectations of God, that if I did A plus B, C was sure to follow. My motive was if I did the right things, then God would give me the type of life that I wanted or that I really thought I deserved. One mainly that consisted of ease and comfort. The problem, however, was that I just didn't realize that this was how my heart was operating until great disappointment and suffering became the theme of my story. It has taken years of struggling through these heartaches that the Lord has so tenderly and graciously worked to the surface of my heart, this misguided view of obedience and brought me to a place of great freedom in obeying the Lord because I'm just so grateful for the mercy and the love that he has poured out on me. The motivation to obey um, just comes out of a love for God, deep belief in his goodness, no matter the outcome, seeing the glory of the Lord made known to the watching world, 
and sure hope that the Lord will sustain me until the very end. Yeah, which is such a beautiful thing. And I've had the privilege of seeing that face to face and so love that. Yeah, I think we all have. And uh, just hearing you talk, Susie, about um, how your understanding of obedience has changed as throughout your um, lifetime. For me, my understanding of obedience, especially during my adult years, um, I, I keep going back to the gospel stories of when Jesus and Peter walked on the water. Um, and that story is important to me because it's really helped me understand that there are two, two faces, probably more of the concept of, of obedience, that there's a grueling aspect to obedience, and there is also a very glorious mm-hmm. side mm-hmm. as well. And um, I think we probably all have experienced that. And um, for me, uh, the story, um, I think about when Jesus first commanded the disciples to go get in the boat. He wanted them to row across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. And the backstory there is, you know, these guys were so tired. They were bone tired. They had just helped Jesus feed the 5,000. They had helped serve all the food, picked it up in those 12 baskets. I mean, I would be toast after that. But then on top of that, there was this emotional component because before the 5,000 story, um, we find out that Jesus got word that John the Baptist, his cousin, had been beheaded. So here, here are these guys, these just human guys like us, who are probably bone-weary and, um, you know, emotionally tired. And Jesus says, okay, now get in the boat. It's dark, but row across. You're going to row, and I'll meet you later. And, I mean, I would have grumbled if it, I had been there. But, you know, they all get in the boat, and they all go. And, and that just has reminded me that even if I don't feel like obeying, uh, if I don't, I, don't want to change that last diaper or mop that floor, or I've had jobs where there have been very tedious, tedious aspects, um, that it's important to obey and to obey with, with the right attitude. And um, so that's kind of the grueling side. And then, then there's this glorious side, you know, where the disciples, they're out there in the boat rocking, the wind kicks up, and it's scary, and all of a sudden they think they see a ghost, and boom, who is it? It's Jesus. And um, then this is one of my favorite things in all of Scripture, quotes, you Peter stands up in the rocking boat and goes, Jesus, if it's you, call me to come out there with you. And I, <laughs> I just love that. And of course, whatever, whoever it is says, yeah, come on. And he jumps out and it is Jesus. And there, you know, Peter obeyed. And yeah. what a glorious obedience. He's walking uh-huh. on the water with Jesus. And so I know, I, and I've had opportunities like that too, where there have uh-huh. been things that really, really were um, glorious. Um, I think my husband and I are experiencing something sort of like that, not not nearly quite so so grand, but a few years ago, he, a couple of years ago, when most people his age would be thinking about retiring, um, he and some associates started a new company, and he really felt led of the Lord to do this because he feels like part of his business is there's a ministerial aspect to it. And so we had to step out on some, you know, uncertain waters, and he started, they, they started the business, and it's just been wonderful to see God being faithful in, in a work at atmosphere. Um, so that's kind of, a, um, you know, the, the glorious aspect. And part of your question is the motivation. Why do it? Why do it? And I just think, you know, like those guys in that boat, every time I say yes to Jesus, whether I'm too tired or I'm like Peter and so excited to do whatever it is mm-hmm. Jesus has for me, I get more of Jesus. I get to mm-hmm. be with him. I get to see him. I get to experience him. 
And I mean, that's just, to me, that's the greatest motivation for obeying. That's so good. Amen. Amen. I love how you talk about what's glorious in that and then what's grueling in that dichotomy. Yeah. And I, I saw that growing up and my dichotomy was obedience. I learned the grueling part. I felt like in my home (laughs) and then I, the glorious part, it felt more like that was next door at my grandparents. And so how my understanding of obedience comes from having parents who just insisted on it. Hmm. They were Mm -hmm. very authoritarian I had eight siblings growing up, wow. right. and so they were just kind of no nonsense about obedience. Yeah, they, mm-hmm. they had to be. Yeah. <laughs> and so they, uh, so fear, it, uh, it was just a big motivator mm-hmm. for obedience early in life. And my parents were just, they were firm believers in spanking. And my dad was quite literally the law in our house. He was, he <laughs> worked, he was a he policeman, was, right? He was uh-huh. So he was quite literally, he was the law. He was the law. And so um, as the youngest, I saw my older brothers get disciplined. Man, and my dad was rough, you know. And I knew I wanted no parts of that. Mm-hmm. I wanted no parts of his spankings. And so I had just... I learned from watching, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't have to just, just tell me what to do. I, you don't, you don't have to do that to me. Uh, and so he would just say my name and my dad had this big booming James Earl Jones voice. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he would say my full name, but that's okay, Jones. <laughs> and so whatever I was doing, I stopped immediately. So my parents taught me the truth of God's word through regular Sunday school, church attendance. They taught me the law. They taught mm-hmm. me the law of the Lord. And that's mm-hmm. important. It is yeah, important. important. It is important. They gave me good boundaries, and uh, they enforced them. Mm-hmm. And it was my grandparents that modeled a love for the Lord in ways that made me love him. Mm-hmm. Right. And my grandmother taught me love and devotion for the Lord just through her life. She modeled this grateful, patient obedience in, in her persistent worship through her own physical ailments. Mm-hmm. And just she was mm-hmm. so fragile, it seemed, mm-hmm. with uh, just being so arthritic. And she was faithful, and she daily taught me uh, through reading scripture and teaching me the word of God all throughout my preschool years. From my earliest memories, uh, I had book of Bible stories in my hand, and up until it was time for me to go to school. And so my motivation for obeying is this, the love that my grandparents demonstrated and the love that they fostered in my own heart. It was, it was uh, very organic because mm-hmm. I didn't love the Lord because they told me to, and surely they did because they taught me the scriptures but I loved them because they did. Mm-hmm. And so it was just natural for me. To, yeah, it was natural for me to love him because their love for him was just so pure and it was just so real and mm-hmm. evident. And so I loved them because they, that's what they modeled for me. Mm-hmm. So somehow those two worlds taught me the grueling mm-hmm. and the glorious, uh, both the importance of rules and boundaries and how to joyfully follow out of this grateful love. As we have all experienced, obedience is not always joyful. Can you ladies describe a situation in life when you found obedience to be especially challenging? Um, yeah, I can think of a time that comes uh, to mind immediately because it's probably one of the, um, I don't know how to put this. I've, I've never experienced temptation as greatly as I did that particular day. And um, it happened when I was in college and I, it was my senior year, spring semester, I was about to graduate, and I needed one class to finish, one, one little set of um, hours from like an elective-type class. And so I had taken, and why I took this, I'll never know, statistics, and I was an English major, but there was this little class that I thought I could take and just breeze through, and I could take it past fail. So, 
And my roommate was an e economics major, and she also was taking the class. So I imagine part of my motivation was, oh, great, I'll get to have, I'll have a class with Linda before she graduates because we haven't been able to have classes together because of our majors. So anyway, spring semester, senior year, you know how that goes. It's fun. You're, you're doing what you have to do to get through, but there, there are a lot of other things you're looking forward to, too, jobs and um, new first apartments and, and moving and all that stuff. So anyway, um, as the semester went on, I really didn't apply myself enough in this pass-fail class. And so exam time rolls around, and I really, I just didn't know the stuff. And our, our school had a, a, an honor system. The exam was going to be um, take home. And so I go to get my exam that day, and I t decide to take it back to the dorm room to take it at my desk. Linda and I, my roommate, we had these two desks that were, you know, you put your desk side together so they're facing, like a yeah. partner desk. And so nobody was in the room. I don't think anybody was even on the hall. It was so quiet. And so I go in, and I sit down, and I get the exam out, and it's all multiple choice, and I go through it. And I answered what I knew. And then I went through and kind of figured out, I don't think I have enough to pass here. I know I've got this much, but I don't know, I don't know what the number was, 60 or 70, whatever you had to get, 70%. And then about that time, I look over, and my roommate, who also took the class, had already taken the exam, and there is her finished exam in an envelope on her side of the desk. Had she already left? She had already, yeah. She had left? She had already taken it, it had already been graded, and it was sitting there. Oh. And I knew she would have done really well on it because this was part of, you know, her major. And, and I, I sat, and I was a leader in Christian ministry. I knew the Lord. I knew what I was supposed to do. But I also thought, there is nobody here who will ever see me. This is like Bobby Jones in the ball. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Same thing. Nobody will ever know. It's not like I want to copy the whole test. <laughs> I just want one answer, maybe uh -huh. two. With most, just one. I mean, that, how can, how bad? You know how, right, how bad could right. it be, right? Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. If I don't do this, I, I might not graduate. I might not get to walk with my friends. I might not get to start start my job. Yeah, you know, it'll just you know what you think. But, but God, that mm -hmm. still small voice. Thank mm -hmm. the Lord. Um, I just heard it through the the silence was so loud that day, mm -hmm. but I did hear Him, and I just knew I can't do this. Lord, I just can't do this. I know I can't do this. And I just prayed, Lord, I'm going to take this test, and I'm going to answer these questions as best I can. I'm going to sign the honor pledge because it wasn't on. And I had never been really tempted to not follow that mm -hmm. honor pledge. And so I did it, and I said, whatever happens, it's for your glory. And I submit. I, did, I didn't study like I should have, so I, you know, I don't know why I'm surprised um, mm -hmm. about this. But anyway, I'll, I'll take whatever comes. And so... Turned the test in, and then I want you to know, I went and picked it up after it had been graded, and I had answered just enough wow. questions wow. on my own to pass. Okay. Yep. And I could have failed, but mm -hmm. this particular time, yep. it was a pass. So mm -hmm. that, that I have never forgotten that moment any time I'm really, really tempted. Yeah. Wow, what a powerful Something. reminder. So, yeah. Double blessing of passing and yes. knowing that you're mm -hmm. clear before the Lord. Mm -hmm. There was no reason I really should have passed. Um, so my third child, Sadie, was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder when she was five years old. Um, up until that point, we were still hopeful and eager to be used by the Lord in this new role as special needs parents. But I soon learned that there is just a relentlessness about disabilities that doesn't really go away. 
there is no cure. God was calling me to something much greater than I had expected. The days got longer. The cares got more intense. My grief intensified. My disappointment for the life that I wanted for Sadie and our family, it just crushed me. I think I had just held it together for so long, doing the next thing, finding the next doctor or therapy, saying the right things, that this was for our good and for God's glory. But at some point along the way, I could no longer pretend that I could hold this together. In my grief, I really wrestled with, God, are you really good? Because this sure doesn't feel good. I thought I did everything right. All the years of walking so faithfully with the Lord, I felt like he wasn't enough to meet my needs. So I met them in my own ways, distracting myself from the challenges before me, numbing my pain and finding relief um, in lesser things. For several years, I stayed in this very dark place, rebellious and not believing that the Lord would enter the ache of my heart or heal the brokenness that consumes my days. But God, like you said, Angela, he loves me too much to leave me in my disobedience and his perfect timing. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he has given me the grace and desire to obey. He has lessened my desires for the temporary things of this world. He has shown me that the things I was running to actually didn't satisfy in the end. And only Jesus can truly satisfy the deep longings and heal the disappointments of my heart. I so appreciate that vulnerable sharing. I mean, mm-hmm. I know I said just a few minutes ago that I've seen it face to face and I'm over here kind of tearing up into my mask mm-hmm. if people can see me because I love you. But just the way that you have consistently through life just fought honestly with mm-hmm. other people in the struggle and have found the Lord to be good, and then have communicated that the Lord is good. Just the way that I see that in your life is so powerful to mm-hmm. me, so I'm just mm-hmm. really grateful mm-hmm. for that. Um, I think, for me, I can resonate with, with what y'all are saying. It's hard to be obedient when it doesn't seem like it's going to pay off, mm-hmm. or when it seems like somehow God has vacated the building, mm-hmm. and is you've done this and this, and he's no Not longer delivering. providing mm-hmm. what you thought he would provide. And I think it's also hard for me to obey when I feel offended mm-hmm. or, you know, like I'm lacking something less than. The other day, really two weeks ago, John and I were having a conversation and I was sharing something that was a struggle to me. And he was being very practical in his assessment of it and his way of, of communicating back to me. Yeah. And so I could take that for a period of time. I knew he was trying to help me, but the mm-hmm. more practical he got, the more just do this and then just do that. And then <laughs> I just started to feel dumb and angry. And so I we're walking actually on this little path together and I just turned around and I just said a hateful thing to him. <laughs> and I said, you go away. You walk over there. <laughs> I'm going over here. And I just walked away. And in the moment, I'm like, and he just was so horrified and shocked that I would say something as hateful as I said, and then just walk away. And so now I'm carrying, I'm really embarrassed that I just lost my temper, like I'm in third grade. <laughs> and I'm really embarrassed because I feel really insecure all of a sudden sure. that like, that I can't measure up to whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I walked Mm -hmm. away and I just found myself arguing with the Lord. Like I knew that in that moment, 
I was wrong, you know, yeah, but to go yeah. back and to confess I was wrong on oh, top of already hard. feeling mm-hmm. all that junk, I just didn't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. And so I think, you know, after walking for a little while and talking to the Lord, just just being able to go back and just walk up into him and say, mm-hmm. I was wrong. Will yeah. you forgive me? I thought it is such a blessing of the Lord to have that deeper rooted security in him, because even mm-hmm. when I do feel that insecure, I do have a platform in which to say, okay. I am secure in you, Lord. I can go up and confess my sin to somebody. And I think, you know, even in times right now when disunity is such a temptation and things that we love or things that we represent or things that we hold dear get threatened, Mm -hmm. well, then we think coming out fighting is the way to, to... to win that as opposed to say committing ourselves to obedience. It just, you don't want to be obedient in those moments. You want to be strong. You you want to fight. You want to whatever, but the joy, the joy in receiving forgiveness, asking for it, receiving it, walking before the Lord has really, I just, in those moments, I've never been disappointed to have chosen obedience. Ultimately, what are some of the joys y'all you've expressed a little bit of that, but just what are some of the joys that you found personally from obedience? I found it pretty cool that um, I've had the pleasure of modeling for my children the love for the Lord that my grandparents displayed mm-hmm. for me. And honestly, it, it hasn't, largely it hasn't been intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just what I learned being around them. And so I, I was home with them full time with my children for seven years. And it wasn't until I was well into those seven years that I realized that my grandmother's faithfulness in teaching me the scriptures was manifesting in how I engage with my children and the things we do. Our days were looking remarkably like the days that uh, when I was with grandma. And it wasn't it largely, again, it wasn't intentional, mm. but just what she had put in me uh, intentionally and probably inadvertently was coming out in how I interacted with my own children. And so her obedience to teach the next generation how to love the Lord by precept and example, just carried over into my joyfully doing the same. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's yet bearing fruit. As I hear my children quote scripture, that warms my heart wow. because oh, I yeah. know where that came yeah. from. Yeah. I, I remember yeah. hearing grandma say it to mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and or apply their biblical worldview to their own life decisions that they're making now. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in college and in doing their own things. And so what a joy to realize how her faithfulness continues to manifest in the lives of my children. That's a joy. That is. Yep. Precious. The Lord has really used Psalm 16 at pivotal moments of my life when I was impatiently waiting for a particular Georgia boy to propose (laughs) uh, through struggling through depression and anxiety through my dad's death. Psalm 16 has just really spoken to me and it says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Lord brought these verses back to me in a fresh way, just studying this book of Ecclesiastes mm-hmm. and Solomon speaking of our lots. Um, I have found this Zach S. Wine Recovering Eden book to be so rich. Mm-hmm. He says that God and his joys are found here within our lot and not somewhere else. True joy is found in God, and God is found right where his gifts are. God's gifts are our lot. And that just really was an aha moment Mm -hmm. for me a few weeks ago. I've learned joy in accepting the lot that the Lord has lovingly assigned me, trusting that in this lot is where he will show himself Mm -hmm. to me. 
and write in this lot the one um, that if I had my way, I might choose a different path, but instead choosing to believe by faith that here among the disappointments and brokenness of life under the sun, among the never-ending laundry and the dirty diapers and teenage (laughs) attitudes, that this is where I'm actually going to find God. So obedience has looked like looking to the Lord to meet my every need instead of myself, finding that he does and that he is enough. It's doing the next thing even when I don't feel like it. And it's calling out to the Lord in desperate dependence when I'm getting spit on by my daughter and I want to scream. It's stopping that negative record of lies that can run through my mind and choose instead to claim his promises that he is in this with me and where his presence is, there is fullness of joy. Mm-hmm. So good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is beautiful. I just got carried away listening to you. Yeah, <laughs> um, that, yeah where is the joy? Um, I, I think of, I'm carrying on with this water motif today. I didn't, um, the thing that comes to mind um, as we're talking is I think of, um, a swimming pool, you know, has a swimming pool has a, a deep end and a shallow end. And um, I think of a, a giant pool of joy and, um, you know, that, that God is, is there in that pool and he's calling me in, sometimes to the shallow end, mm-hmm. sometimes the deep end. And the shallow end is kind of, that, that's where, you know, the, the water's clear, it's, you can touch the bottom, everybody's splashing around, it's easy, it's fun. Um, and it's just easy to, to, to be there in the shallow end and to experience joy there. And one of the examples for me is I love coming to church. You know, we're, we're commanded in Hebrews to not forsake coming together. And that's, that's easy for me. It's not, it's not a hard place to find joy. But um, at other times, um, there's that, that deep end down there. And um, sometimes God calls us to, to come with him there. And that's where the water gets colder and, you know, the you dive down and you feel the pressure on your ears and it's silent. There's kind of this weird, weird silence down mm-hmm. there. And God called my family to that end of the pool. Um, well, we've been there several times, but the example I think of was back in um, the 1980s when the AIDS um, epidemic was raging. And my brother, my only sibling, um, fell victim to AIDS and he um, suffered through that mm-hmm. disease and he actually died. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of eerie now going through the COVID-19 mm. pandemic because there are so many similarities, mm-hmm. um, I find, mm. um, with just how, how we're living now and some of the aspects of what we went through then. But mm. um, through all of that, even in that, that deep end of the pool, um, we struggle to obey and remain faithful. But my, my brother... Um, I think he became a Christian during that time. Um, He'd always been in church, but I think he really did have an experience with the Lord. And my parents remained faithful. And um, just so much to the point that you referenced the Horatio um, Spavard hymn as well with my soul. Mm. Uh, My parents had put on my brother's headstone, Romans 8, 28. Uh, We know that all things... In all things, God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his mm. purpose. Mm. And to me, that just encapsulates the deep end joy yeah. Yeah. that God mm-hmm. does call us to at time. Well, that deep end 
like you said, it's a scary, it can be a scary place mm-hmm. as opposed to the shallow end where you feel pretty confident right. you know, in your ability to right. stand up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The deep end lets you know that you really can sink. And I think mm-hmm. as we step into the deep end of obedience, we oftentimes find ourselves sinking. And, you know, like you said, Angela, you would know this being a lifeguard. You, we have someone <laughs> who is constantly... Yeah, that's why I keep going back to the not water. That's right. Yeah, that's why you go. It's what you know, yeah. the water. Yeah. Not just throwing us the life ring, yeah, but he is yeah, the life yeah, ring, is, right? Our righteousness Amen. in him is absolutely and completely secure. It will keep us afloat. We have no mm-hmm. doubt of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will continue on in him and what he's given us. Amen. With that note of encouragement, we hope you will join us again next week. Take us on a cool morning walk before a trip to the grocery store. Angela Rogers and Susie Lowcamp will be joining us again as we discuss Ecclesiastes 9, 2, and 18, how it looks to live a joyful life. We'd love for you to listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings when comforts are declining he grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after the